Part two, chapter fourteen of By What Authority by Robert Hugh Benson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Easter Day. Holy Week passed for Anthony like one of those strange dreams in which the sleeper awakes to find tears on his face and does not know whether they are for joy or sorrow. At the end of the retreat that closed on Palm Sunday evening, Anthony had made his choice and told Father Robert. It was not the exercises themselves that were the direct agent any more than were the books he had read. The books had cleared away intellectual difficulties and the retreat moral obstacles and left his soul desiring the highest, keen to see it and free to embrace it. The thought that he would have to tell Isabel appeared to him, of course, painful and difficult, but it was swallowed up in the joy of his conversion. He made an arrangement with Father Robert to be received at Cuckfield on Easter Eve, so that he might have an opportunity of telling Isabel before he took the actual step. The priest told him he would give him a letter to Mr. Barnes, so that he might be received immediately upon his arrival. Holy Week, then, was occupied for Anthony in receiving instruction each morning in the little oak parlor from Father Robert, and in attending the devotions in the evening with the rest of the household. He also heard Mass each day. It was impossible, of course, to carry out the special devotions of the season with the splendor and elaboration that belonged to them, but Anthony was greatly impressed by what he saw the tender reverence with which the catholics loved to linger over the details of the passion and to set them like precious jewels in magnificent liturgical settings and then to perform these stately heart-broken approaches to god with all the dignity and solemnity possible appealed to him in strong contrast to the cold and loveless services as he now thought them of the established church that he had left on the good friday evening he was long in the parlor with father robert i'm deeply thankful my son he said kindly that you have been able to come to a decision of course i could have wished you to enter the society but god has not given you a vocation to that apparently however you can do great work for him as a seminary priest and i am exceedingly glad that you will be going to douay so soon i must just put my affairs in order at home he said and see what arrangements my sister will wish to make and by midsummer at the latest i shall hope to be gone i must be off early to-morrow said the priest i have to be far from here by to-morrow night in a house where i shall hope to stay until i too go abroad again possibly we may meet at douay in the autumn well my son pray for me anthony knelt for his blessing and the priest was gone presently mr buxton came in and sat down he was full of delight at the result of his scheme and said so again and again who could have predicted it he cried to think that you were visiting me in prison fifteen months ago and now this has come about in my house truly the gospel blessing on your action has not been long on the way and that you will be a priest too you must come and be my chaplain some day 
if we are both alive and escape the gallows so long old mr blake is sore displeased with me i am a trial to him i know he will hardly speak to me in my own house i declare i tremble when i meet him in the gallery for fear he will rate me before my servants i forget what his last grievance is but i think it is something to do with a saint that he wishes me to be devout to and i do not like her of course i do not doubt her sanctity but mr blake always confuses veneration and liking i yield to none in my veneration for saint uh, what's her name but i do not like her and that is an end of the matter after a little more talk mr buxton looked at anthony curiously a moment or two and then said i wonder you have not guessed yet who father robert is for i am sure you know that that cannot be his real name anthony looked at him wonderingly well he's in bed now and will be off early to-morrow and i have his leave to tell you he is father persons of whom you may have heard anthony stared yes said his host the companion of campion all the world supposes him to be in rome and i think that not half a dozen persons besides ourselves know where he is but at this moment i assure you father robert persons of the society of jesus is asleep or awake as the case may be in the little tapestry chamber overhead now went on mr buxton that you are one of us i will tell you quite plainly that father robert as we will continue to call him is in my opinion one of the most devout priests that ever said mass and also one of the most shrewd men that ever drew breath but i cannot follow him everywhere you will find mr anthony that the catholics in england are of two kinds those who seem to have as their motto the text i quoted you in lambeth prison and who count their duty to caesar as scarcely less important than their direct duty to god i am one of these i sincerely desire above all things to serve her grace and i would not for all the world join in any confederacy to dethrone her for i hold she is my lawful and true prince then there is another party who would not hesitate for a moment to take part against their prince though i do not say to the slaying of her if thereby the catholic religion could be established again in these realms it is an exceedingly difficult point and i understand well how honest and good men can hold that view for they say and rightly that the kingdom of god is the first thing in the world and while they may not commit sin of course to further it yet in things indifferent they must sacrifice all for it and they add it is indifferent as to who sits on the throne of england therefore one prince may be pushed off it so long as no crime is committed in the doing of it and another seated there if thereby the religion may be so established again you see the point mr anthony no doubt and how fine and delicate it is well father robert is i think of that party and so are many of the authorities abroad now i tell you all this and on this sacred day too 
because i may have no other opportunity and i do not wish you to be startled or offended after you have become a catholic and i entreat you to be warm and kindly to those who take other views than your own for i fear that many troubles lie in front of us of our own causing for there are divisions amongst us already although not at all of course for which i thank god on any of the saving truths of the faith anthony's excitement on hearing father robert's real name was very great as he lay in bed that night the thought of it all would hardly let him sleep he turned to and fro trying to realize that there within a dozen yards of him lay the famous jesuit for whose blood all protestant england was clamoring the name of persons was still sinister and terrible even to this convert and he could scarcely associate in his thoughts all its suggestiveness with that kindly fervent lover of jesus christ who had led him with such skill and tenderness along the way of the gospel others in england were similarly astonished in later years to learn that a famous puritan book of devotions was scarcely other than a reprint of father person's christian directory the following day about noon after an affectionate good-bye to his host and mr blake anthony rode out of the iron-wrought gates and down the village street in the direction of great keynes it was a perfect spring day overhead there was a soft blue sky with translucent clouds floating in it underfoot and on all sides the mystery of life was beginning to stir and manifest itself the last touch of bitterness had passed from the breeze and all living growth was making haste out into the air the hedges were green with open buds and bubbling with the laughter and ecstasy of the birds the high sloping overhung sussex lanes were sweet with violets and primroses and here and there under the boughs anthony saw the blue carpet of bell-flowers spread rabbits whisked in and out of the roots superintending and provisioning the crowded nurseries underground and as anthony came out now and again on the higher and open spaces larks vanished up their airy spirals of song into the illimitable blue or hung visible musical specks against a fleecy cloud pouring down their thin cataract of melody and as he rode for every note of music and every glimpse of color round him his own heart poured out pulse after pulse of that spiritual essence that lies beneath all beauty and from which all beauty is formed to the maker of all this and the saviour of himself there were set wide before him now the gates of a kingdom compared to which this realm of material life round about was but a cramped and wintry prison after all how long he had lived in the cold and the dark he thought kept alive by the refracted light that stole down the steps to where he sat in the shadow of death saved from freezing by the warmth of grace that managed to survive the chill about him and all the while the catholic church was glowing and pulsating with grace close to him and yet unseen that great realm full of heavenly sunlight that was the life of all its members that sunlight that had poured down so steadily ever since the winter had rolled away on calvary and that ever since then had been elaborating and developing into a thousand intricate forms all that was capable of absorbing it 
one by one the great arts had been drawn into that kingdom transformed and immortalized by the vital and miraculous sap of grace philosophies languages sciences all in turn were taken up and sanctified and now this puritan soul thirsty for knowledge and grace and so long starved and imprisoned was entering at last into her heritage all this was of course but dimly felt in the direct perceptions of anthony but father robert had said enough to open something of the vision and he himself had sufficient apprehension to make him feel that the old meagre life was passing away and a new life of unfathomed possibilities beginning as he rode the wilderness appeared to rejoice and blossom like the rose as the spring of nature and grace stirred about and within him and only an hour or two's ride away lay the very hills and streams of the promised land about half-past three he crossed the london road and before four o'clock he rode round to the door of the dower house dismounted telling the groom to keep his horse saddled he went straight through the hall calling isabel as he went and into the garden carrying his flat cap and whip and gloves and as he came out beneath the holly tree there she stood before him on the top of the old stone garden steps that rose up between earthen flower jars to the yew walk on the north of the house he went across the grass smiling and as he came saw her face grow whiter and whiter she was in a dark serge dress with a plain ruff and a hood behind it and her hair was coiled in great masses on her head she stood trembling and he came up and took her in his arms tenderly and kissed her for his news would be heavy presently why isabel he said you look astonished to see me but i could not well send a man as i had only geoffrey with me she tried to speak but could not and looked so overwhelmed and terrified that anthony grew frightened he saw he must be very gentle sit down he said drawing her to a seat beside the path at the head of the steps and tell me the news by a great effort she regained her self-control i did not know when you were coming she said tremulously i was startled he talked of his journey for a few minutes and of the kindness of the friend with whom he had been staying and the beauty of the house and grounds and so on until she seemed herself again and the piteous startled look had died out of her eyes and then he forced himself to approach his point for the horse was waiting saddled and he must get to cuckfield and back by supper if possible he took her hand and played with it gently as he spoke turning over her rings isabel he said i have news to tell you it is not bad news at least i think not it is the best thing has ever come to me yet by the grace of god and so you need not be anxious or frightened but i am afraid you may think it bad news it-it is about religion isabel he glanced at her and saw that terrified look again in her face she was staring at him and her hand in his began to twitch and tremble nay nay he said there's no need to look like that i have not lost my faith in god rather i have gained it isabel i am going to be a catholic 
a curious sound broke from her lips and a look so strange came into her face that he threw his arm round her thinking she was going to faint and he spoke sharply isabel isabel what is there to fear look at me then a cry broke from her white lips and she struggled to stand up no 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 you are mocking me oh anthony what have i done that you should treat me like this mocking he said before god i am not my horse is waiting to take me to the priest but but she began again oh then what have you done to james maxwell james maxwell why what do you mean you got my note no no there was no answer he said anthony stared why i wrote and then lady maxwell does she not know and james himself isabel shook her head and looked at him wildly well well that must wait one thing at a time he said i cannot wait now i must go to cuckfield ah isabel say you understand once or twice she began to speak but failed and sat panting and staring at him my darling he said do not look like that we are both christians still we at least serve the same god surely you will not cast me off for this cast you off she said and she laughed piteously and sharply and then was grave again then she suddenly cried oh anthony swear to me that you are not mocking me my darling he said why should i mock you i have made the exercises and have been instructed and i have here a letter to mr barnes from the priest who has taught me so that i may be received to-night and make my easter duties and geoffrey is still at the door holding roland to take me to cuckfield to-night to cuckfield she said you will not find mr barnes there not there why not where shall i find him how do you know because he is here she went on in the same strange voice at the hall well said anthony that saves me a journey why is he here he is he is here to say mass to-morrow ah and and what is it isabel and to receive me into the church to-night the brother and sister walked up and down that soft spring evening after supper on the yew-walk with whispers and caresses of the scented breeze about them the shy dewy eyes of the stars looking down at them between the tall spires of the evergreens overhead and in their hearts the joy of lovers on a wedding night anthony had soon told the tale of james maxwell and isabel had nearly knelt to ask her brother's pardon for having ever allowed even the shadow of a suspicion to darken her heart lady maxwell too who had come down with her sister to see isabel about some small arrangement was told and she too had been nearly overwhelmed with the joy of knowing that the lad was innocent and the grief of having dreamed he could be otherwise and at the wholly unexpected news of his conversion but she had gone at last back to the hall to make all ready for the double ceremony of that night and the paschal feast on the next day mistress margaret was in isabel's room moving about with a candle and every time that the two reached the turn at the top of the steps they saw her light glimmering 
Then Anthony, as they walked under the stars, told Isabel of his great hope that he too one day would be a priest and serve God and his countrymen that way. Oh, Anthony, she whispered, and clung to that dear arm that held her own, terrified for the moment at the memory of what had been the price of priesthood to James Maxwell. And where shall you be trained for it? she asked. At Douay? And, Isabel, I think I must go this summer. This summer? she said. Why? And she was silent. Anthony, she went on, I would like to tell you about Hubert. And then the story of the past months came out. She turned away her face as she talked, and at last she told him how Hubert had come for his answer a week before his time. It was on Monday, she said. I heard him on the stairs and stood up as he came in, and he stopped the door in silence, and I could not bear to look at him. I could hear him breathing quickly, and then I could not bear to think of it all and i dropped down into my chair again and hid my face in my arm and burst into crying and still he said nothing but i felt him come close up to me and kneel down by me and he put his hand over mine and held them tight and then he whispered in a kind of quick way i will be what you please catholic or protestant or what you will and i lifted my head and looked at him because it was dreadful to hear him hubert say that and he was whiter than i had ever seen him and then then he began to wrinkle his mouth you know the way he does when his horse is pulling or kicking and then he began to say all kinds of things and oh i was so sorry because he had behaved so well till then what did he say asked anthony quickly ah oh, i have tried to forget said isabel i do not want to think of him as he was when he was angry and disappointed at last he flung out of the room and down the stairs and i have not seen him since but lady maxwell sent for me the same evening an hour later and told me that she could not live there any longer she said that hubert had ridden off to london and would not be down again till whitsuntide but that she must be gone before then so i am afraid that he said things he ought not but of course she did not tell me one word and she asked me to go with her and and anthony i did not know what to say because i did not know what you would do when you heard that i was a catholic i was waiting to tell you when you came home but now but now oh anthony my darling at last the two came indoors mistress margaret met them in the hall she looked for a moment at the two at anthony in his satin and lace and his smiling face over his ruff and his steady brown eyes and isabel on his arm with her clear pale face and bosom and black high-piled hair and her velvet and lace and a rope of pearls why said the old nun smiling you look a pair of lovers then presently the three went together up to the hall an hour or two passed away the paschal moon was rising high over the tall yew hedge behind the italian garden and the hall lay beneath it with silver roofs and vane and black shadows under the eaves and in the angles 
the tall oriel window of the hall looking on to the terrace shone out with candlelight and the armorial coats of the maxwells and the families they had married with glimmered in the upper panes from the cloister wing there shone out above the curtains lines of light in lady maxwell's suite of rooms and the little oak parlour beneath as well as from one or two other rooms but the rest of the house with the exception of the great hall and the servants quarters was all dark it was as if the interior life had shifted westwards leaving the remainder desolate the gardens to the south were silent for the night breeze had dropped and the faint ripple of the fountain within the cloister court was the only sound that broke the stillness and once or twice the sleepy chirp of a bird nestling by his mate in the deep shrubberies showed that the life of the spring was beating out of sight and then at last the door in the west angle of the terrace between the cloister wing and the front of the house opened and a flood of mellow light poured out on to the flat pavement a group stood within the little oaken red-tiled lobby lady maxwell and her sister slender and dignified in their dark evening dresses and ruffs anthony holding his cap and isabel with a lace shawl over her head and at the back the white hair and ruddy face of old mr barnes in his cassock at the bottom of the stairs as mistress margaret opened the door and looked out lady maxwell took isabel in her arms and kissed her again and again then anthony took the old lady's hand and kissed it but she threw her other hand around him and kissed him too on the forehead then without another word the brother and sister came out into the moonlight passed down the side of the cloister wing and turning once to salute the group who waited framed and bathed in golden light they turned the corner to the dower house then the door closed the oriel windows suddenly darkened and an hour after the lights in the wing went out and maxwell house lay silver and grey again in the moonlight the night passed on once isabel awoke and saw her windows blue and mystical and her room full of a dim radiance from the bright night outside he was irresistible and she sprang out of bed and went to the window across the cool polished oak floor and leaned with her elbows on the sill looking out at the square of lawn and the low ivied wall beneath and the tall trees rising beyond ashen grey and olive black and the brilliant glory that poured down from almost directly overhead for the paschal moon was at its height above the house and then suddenly the breathing silence was broken by a ripple of melody and another joined and another and isabel looked and wondered and listened for she had never heard before the music of the mysterious night flight of the larks all soaring and singing together when the rest of the world is asleep and she listened and wondered as the stream of song poured down from the wonderful spaces of the sky rising to far-off ecstasies as the wheeling world sank yet further with its sleeping meadows and woods beneath the whirling singers and then the earth for a moment turned in its sleep as isabel listened and the trees stirred as one deep breath came across the woods and a thrush murmured a note or two beside the drive and a rabbit suddenly awoke in the field and ran on to the lawn and sat up and looked at the white figure at the window and far away from the direction of linfield a stag brayed so longeth my soul whispered isabel to herself then all grew still again the trees hushed the torrent of music more tumultuous as it neared the earth suddenly ceased and isabel at the window leaned further out and held her hands in the bath of light 
and spoke softly into the night o lord jesus how kind thou art to me then at last the morning came and christ was risen beyond a doubt just before the sun came up when all the sky was luminous to meet him the two again passed up and around the corner and into the little door in the angle there was the same shaded candle or two for the house was yet dark within and they passed up and on together through the sitting-room into the chapel where each had made a first confession the night before and had together been received into the catholic church now it was all fragrant with flowers and herbs a pair of tall lilies leaned their delicate heads towards the altar as if to listen for the soundless coming in the name of the lord underfoot all about the altar lay sprigs of sweet herbs rosemary thyme lavender bay leaves with white blossoms scattered over them a soft carpet for the pierced feet not like those rustling palm swords over which he rode to death last week the black oak chest that supported the altar stone was glorious in its vesture of cloth of gold and against the white hung wall at the back behind the silver candlesticks leaned the gold plate of the house to do honour to the king and presently there stood there the radiant rustling figure of the priest his personality sheathed and obliterated beneath the splendid symbolism of his vestments stiff and chinking with jewels as he moved the glorious mass of easter day began emolatus est christus itaque epulemur st paul cried from the south corner of the altar to the two converts christ our passover is sacrificed for us therefore let us keep the feast but not with the old leaven quis revolvet nobis lapidem wailed the women who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre and when they looked cried the triumphant evangelist they saw that the stone was rolled away for it was very great erat quipe manus valde here then they knelt at last these two come home together these who had followed their several paths so resolutely in the dark not knowing that the other was near yet each seeking a hidden lord and finding both him and one another now in the full and visible glory of his face orto yam sole for the sun of righteousness had dawned and there was healing for all sorrows in his wings et credo in unum sanctum catholicum et apostolicum ecclesiam their hearts cried all together i believe at last in a catholic church one for it is built on one and its faith is one holy for it is the daughter of god and the mother of saints apostolic for it is guided by the prince of apostles and very vicar of christ et expecto vitam venturi seculi i look for the life of the world to come and i count all things but loss houses and brethren and sisters and father and mother and wife and children and lands when i look to that everlasting life and him who is the way to it amen so from step to step the liturgy moved on with its sonorous and exultant tramp 
and the crowding thoughts forgot themselves and watched as the splendid heralds went by the triumphant trumpets of gloria in excelsis had long died away the proclamation of the names and titles of the prince had been made unum dominum jesum christum filium dei unigenitum ex patre natum ante omnia secula deum de deo lumen de lumine deum verum de deo vero genitum non factum consubstantialem patri then his first achievement had been declared perquem omnia facta sunt then his great and later triumphs how he had ridden out alone from the palace and come down the steep of heaven in quest of his love how he had disguised himself for her sake and by the crowning miracle of love the mightiest work that almighty god has ever wrought he was made man and the herald hushed his voice in awe as he declared it and the people threw themselves prostrate in honour of this high and lowly prince then was recounted the tale of those victories that looked so bitterly like failures and the people held their breath and whispered it too then in rising step after step his last conquests were told how the black knight was overthrown his castle stormed and his prison burst and the story of the triumph of the return and of the coronation and the enthronement at the father's right hand on high the heralds passed on and mysterious figures came next bearing melchizedek's gifts shadowing the tremendous event that follows on behind after a space or two came the first lines of the bodyguard the heavenly creatures dimly seen moving through clouds of glory angels dominations powers heavens virtues and blessed seraphim all crying out together to heaven and earth to welcome him who comes after in the bright shadow of the name of the lord and the trumpets peal out for the last time hosanna in the highest then a hush fell and presently in the stillness came riding the great personages who stand in heaven about the throne first the queen mother herself glorious within and without moving in clothing of wrought gold high above all others then the great princes of the blood royal who are admitted to drink of the king's own cup and sit beside him on their thrones peter and paul and the rest with rugged faces and scarred hands and with them great mitred figures linus cletus and clement with their companions and then another space and a tingling silence the crowds bow down like corn before the wind the far-off trumpets are silent and he comes he comes on he moves treading underfoot the laws he has made yet borne up by them as on the sea of galilee he who inhabits eternity at an instant is made present he who transcends space is eminent in material kind he who never leaves the father's side rests on his white linen carpet held yet unconfined in the midst of the little gold things and embroidery and candle flames and lilies 
while the fragrance of the herbs rises about him there rests the gracious king before this bending group the rest of the pageant dies into silence and nothingness outside the radiant circle of his presence there is his immediate priest-herald who has marked out this halting-place for the prince bowing before him striving by gestures to interpret and fulfil the silence that words must always leave empty here behind are the adoring human hearts each looking with closed eyes into the face of the fairest of the children of men each crying silently words of adoration welcome and utter love the moments pass the court ceremonies are performed the virgins that follow the lamb felicitas perpetua agatha and the rest step forward smiling and take their part the eternal father is invoked again in the son's own words and at length the king descending yet one further step of infinite humility flings back the last vesture of his outward royalty and casts himself in a passion of haste and desire into the still and invisible depths of these two quivering hearts made in his own image that lift themselves in an agony of love to meet him meanwhile the easter morning is deepening outside the sun is rising above the yew hedge and the dew flashes drop by drop into a diamond and vanishes the thrush that stirred and murmured last night is pouring out his song and the larks that rose into the moonlight are running to and fro in the long meadow grass the tall slender lilies that have not been chosen to grace the sacramental presence chamber are at least in the king's own garden where he walks morning and evening in the cool of the day and waiting for those who will have seen him face to face and presently they come the tall lad and his sister silent and together out into the radiant sunlight and the joy of the morning and the singing thrush and the jewels of dew and the sweet swaying lilies are shamed and put to silence by the joy upon their faces and in their hearts end of part two chapter fourteen